Well, it is a joy to have with us Edward and Emily Brake and their family, Samuel and Sophia, and they have had a significant summer that they're still recovering from, and they're going to share some of that with you in a moment. But Edward and Emily, have, are, they are part of our missionary team. They are missionaries that we support um, and serving at the University of New Hampshire through crew and its ministry. And this summer, they were in some very different places and circumstances and situations. But it is so good to have them back again. And as we're leaving today, we have our normal tithes and offerings that we can place in the basket as you're going, or you can give online as well. But if you would like to give a love offering to the ministry of Edward and Emily and crew, you can just give that, just label in memo, just you can put crew, and we'll know it's going to them. And, um, and then we'll get that to them. But let's just welcome today um, Edward and Emily Brake as they return to share with us about their current journey with crew, um, not just in, in um, Durham, but literally around the world. So Edward and Emily, why don't you come? Good morning. So as Pastor Duff said, we are Edward and Emily Brake. We work with CREW, which is the U.S. Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ International. And we work with the campus ministry. So we work with college students at the University of New Hampshire. I think we've got a fun picture of our students, if you guys want to pull up the slide. So that's us at our winter retreat when we still all had to wear masks. Isn't it nice to be able to see people's faces these days? Um, we also distance coach a small crew movement at Keene State College, and Edward works with crew's national level mission trip operations team, which is a mouthful, but that means he gets to send students all over the U.S. and all over the world on mission trips. So if you haven't met us before, this slide is our family, our kids Samuel and Sophia. Samuel is four, Sophia's almost two, they're hanging out with us today up here. And I grew up here. This is my home church. I think I was actually baby Jesus in the Christmas play when I was like two months old. So this church has been a part of my life for a long, long time. And as Pastor Jeff said, you guys have been really faithful in partnering in ministry with us. Um, this is my 13th year working with crew, and Community Chapel has been supporting me since I started in the very beginning and then supporting us after we got married. So it's always great to be here, to see you guys. Those of you who are watching online and not here, um, we're glad you get to hear us, even if we don't get to see you. And we deeply value your partnership with us in reaching students at UNH and beyond with the gospel. And today we're going to tie into the prophet series that you guys have been doing this summer. And we're going to look at the book of Daniel uh, and specifically at the four ways that Daniel prays throughout the book. So we'll kind of hit some highlights of Daniel as we go through. Uh, and look at how Daniel prays when the world doesn't make sense, when the world's broken and seems far from God. But before we do that, let me pray for our time. Uh, God, thanks for the opportunity to be at Community Chapel this morning. Thanks for the blessing that this church has been in our lives uh, for the blessing that they are to the people here and to this community. And pray simply that you would take our words this morning and use them, uh, yeah, that 
those listening here in this room and online would hear what you want them to hear and uh, go from this place having heard from you. And ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll look at the prayers of Daniel and what we can learn from how Daniel prayed during the 70 years of exile in Babylon uh, for the nation of Israel, how we should pray and what our prayers should look like. And I would say, even in preparing this, like this was convicting for me because I don't consider myself that great of a prayer. And looking at how Daniel prayed, I was like, oh, I don't pray like that. So know from the start, like, don't hear us as we share today and even share some of the ways God's worked through prayer and ways we've prayed over the last year. I don't want you guys to hear, like, Edward and Emily are amazing, and this is how they pray. I want you to hear, like, Daniel's prayers are amazing, and we don't measure up to that. Um, so yeah, we pray that the conviction of this message comes from God's word and not from any thought of us being more than we are. Yeah, we're definitely not perfect prayers, but I would say one thing that's been really helpful. So we work on a staff team at UNH. It's not just us. And our team leader has made it a part of our staff culture that we gather almost every day of the week to pray. And he just said, you know, if I don't put this in my calendar and get other people to show up so I will show up, I know myself well enough to know I won't pray. And so if you're like, I just don't think I could pray, like ask Pastor Jeff or Pastor Mary what is already happening at church. I know you guys had like a Facebook prayer group during the pandemic. So like get other people to pray with you and it's a lot easier suddenly when it becomes a part of your rhythm and it's with other people. I would say that's been a huge for me in praying more often and more regularly. Some context on the book of Daniel before we jump in. Uh, Daniel covers the 70 years of the Jewish exile in Babylon and Daniel's among the young men of Jerusalem who are taken to Babylon in the exile and are trained to serve in the Babylonian king's court. And so Daniel spends the majority of his life, 70 years, in exile in Babylon, living faithfully for God in a city, in a culture, in an empire that does not follow God. And looking at the ways Daniel prays, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 2, that Daniel prays when facing danger and destruction. Uh, and here's the context of Daniel 2. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he calls his wise men together and says, I don't want you just to tell me the interpretation of the dream. I want you to tell me what the dream was and what the interpretation is. And the wise men say, there is no way we can do this. This is impossible. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, if you don't, I'm going to kill you all. And Daniel is included in the wise men um, that are under this threat of being killed by the king for not telling him what his dream and interpretation is. And so Daniel gets word of what has happened in the king's court, and we'll pick it up in verse 17. Uh, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with them. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel goes, he tells the king the dream and the interpretation. The wise men are spared, and King Nebuchadnezzar worships God as the God of gods and Lord of kings. And I think we often, uh, you can throw up that slide, pray like Daniel, where something happens that we're like, God, I can't handle this, this is out of my control, and we're like, help. And then hopefully, when God comes through and helps us, we uh, go back to God, like Daniel, with praise and thanks for him. Uh, We definitely had a lot of help prayers this summer, so we took a trip to the Middle East um, with a group of students and our two small kids. And if you have ever traveled internationally on a plane trip that is more than nine hours long, you will know that there's a lot that you just can't control. Um, So working with crew, the vision of crew is that we are winning, building, and sending students for Christ. And during the school year on campus, what that looks like is we're reaching out to students through social media, hosting weekly meetings and other events that help students who don't yet know Jesus to hear about him and students who already follow Jesus to be built up in their faith and equipped to share it. And then during the summer, students don't have classes. So Crew runs summer mission trips all over the U.S. and all over the world giving students a chance to share Jesus in places where a lot of people don't know him. So this past summer, Crew sent over 1,200 students around the U.S. and around the world. And Edward's main role with his team is helping to equip the trip leaders for that and help with logistics, things like plane tickets and visas and housing. So we personally got to go on a summer mission trip. This is our team from this summer. Um, So we had 12 students, four of whom were from UNH, eight staff, including us and our two kids. And I just feel like from the beginning, we flew, we made it through customs, we're in the airport, and one of our students who had never traveled internationally before is like, oh, I just left my backpack over there on the other side of customs. And we're like, I don't know if you realize this, but in an international airport, you can't just like pop back through customs to go get your backpack. So we pray, and we send him off, and another staff member goes off, and God was just so gracious. The security guard not only listened and believed us, but the security guard himself went back and got the backpack and brought it back to us. And so just that reminder from the very beginning of our trip of, like, God, this is way beyond what we can do. We need you, and to see God answer our prayers really focused our team on God, and we hope as we get to share ways that we've prayed and seen God answer, it reminds you that whether it's a big thing or a small thing or a small big thing, like a backpack that's kind of important for the rest of the summer, um, God is there in it with us. The next way that we see Daniel praying, so he prays for deliverance, he offers thanksgiving, and he also prays regularly. And I think the best story that illustrates this in the book of Daniel is the famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. So this happens under King Darius. 
This is one of Sophia's absolute favorite Bible stories because it involves Kit Kats, and she's a big fan of kitty cats. So we're going to give it to you kind of the way we tell Sophia. She has a short attention span, so we try to make Bible stories quick and fun in our household. So King Darius decides he's going to make Daniel second in command over the whole kingdom. The other high officials are not fans of this idea. They're pretty jealous, and they want to discredit Daniel. But if you look at the Bible passage we've got up here, they realize that they can't. Daniel is faithful. They can't find any ground for complaint or fault in him. So they say, hmm, we're not going to find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God because they know Daniel's really faithful in serving God. So they go skipping off to the king and convince him, trick him, into establishing a law that anybody who prays to any other god or person besides the king for the next 30 days will get thrown into the den of lions. Um, I don't know if we've got that slide that you can throw up there, but um, so you see when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, In other words, Daniel knows the law has been passed about getting thrown into a lion's den if he prays to God. He goes to his house where he's got the windows open toward Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees three times a day and prays and gives thanks to his God just as he had done previously. Then the other officials come by agreement. They spy on Daniel. They find him making petition and plea before his God. And they go running off to the king and say, hey, guess what? Daniel's disobeying your law. He's not listening to you. He's praying to his God. The king realizes he's been tricked, but he can't overwrite his own law. And so he throws Daniel into the lion's den. God sends an angel who closes the lion's mouths. So Daniel is unharmed when King Darius comes to check on him the next morning. And this makes such a great impression on the king that he tells all the people that they should worship the God of Daniel the living God who endures forever. Yeah, we see uh, lots of things in this story. But the thing we want to focus on, we see that Daniel prays regularly, that even once this law is passed, we see that Daniel goes and prays three times a day, as was his custom. And one of the things that happened this summer uh, that was super challenging, but also God brought blessings out of it, is that we, five days into our summer mission trip with a bunch of students that we were staffing and leading, uh, our family got hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is highly contagious. Uh, Adults don't normally get it. Normally kids get it. We both got it. Uh, And so we were like, we don't want our group to get this because that'll take everyone out for a period of time. Uh, so we quarantined for a little over a week. And our first night of quarantine, I think, once we eventually got kids down to bed, uh, we were like, man, everything that we came here to do this summer and thought we were doing or would be doing of caring for our team and going and ministering on campus and talking to students, local students about Jesus, we're not doing because we're stuck in our apartment. And Emily said, hey, do you want to go pray on the balcony? And I was like, yes, because the one thing we could do 
was prey. And so I think we actually got a picture of the view from our balcony, which was pretty spectacular. Um, that we could see out over a section of this incredibly large city where less than 1% of the people know and follow Jesus. And we just got to go and pray each night during that week of quarantine for the city, for the people, for our team, um, for Airbnb hosts, like whatever came to mind. And so we spent our week of quarantine praying at night once kids were in bed, and then that just continued throughout the summer. And I think the reality is, had we not ended up in quarantine, we would have just run a really hard pace all summer and probably not slowed down to pray at night. But because we had that week of quarantine at the beginning, it established this pattern and this habit that went uh, for most of the rest of the summer. And I think what's interesting is just not knowing. Um, our students met, uh, well, handed off 74 contacts to the long-term team in the city, um, had numerous spiritual and gospel conversations, and yet in the Middle East, it often takes years from the first time someone hears the gospel to them actually coming to faith. And so we don't really know the fruit of our prayers, but trust that God is and will be using them. The final way we see Daniel pray is in Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel prays in confession of the sins of his people and intercedes for them. Uh, and this prayer is really long, so we're just going to hit some highlights. But I'd encourage you to go and read through it and even pray through it later this afternoon. And the context for this is that Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesies that the exile will be 70 years. And Daniel realizes that 70 years are almost over. And he goes and prays this, starting in Daniel 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Jumping to verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see, our desolations, in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I want you just to take a moment and imagine what God might do 
and how God might move if we prayed this type of prayer regularly for our city, for our state, for our nation, for countries around the world. And the reality is we see Daniel pray this for his people and even like confess sins that maybe aren't his own, but are his people's sins. But the truth is on a personal level, like Israel, we have all turned aside from God and refused to obey his voice and have brought shame upon ourselves. And Daniel in the Old Testament gets prophetic glimpses of what God's coming kingdom will look like. But we get to look back and see that God's kingdom comes through Jesus. And that in Jesus, there is forgiveness of sin, the removal of our shame from sin, mercy from God, and new life with Jesus. And it's what we need individually, and it's what we need corporately in the sense of, as individuals follow Jesus, it changes our cities and our states and our world. Um, and that, yeah, and we talked earlier about winning, building, and sending with crew. Like that, that is why we're on campus at UNH. That's why we're sending students around the world to proclaim Jesus. That's why we're willing to take our family for a month in the Middle East this summer. Um, that Jesus' name can be made known and that people can have the opportunity to follow him. Yeah, prayer matters. God moves when we pray. And we're really grateful to know that so many of you pray regularly for us. I would say probably my favorite story about prayer from this past year involves Bex Gain, who many of you know because she goes to church here. Bex's a grad student at UNH and also works part-time for InterVarsity, one of the other Christian groups there. And she was staying over at our house, and we are talking about her classes, and she said, you know, I think one of my professors might be a Christian, just based on something she said in class. But it's been a really hard class. There's been some students who've just, like, really pushed back and been pretty disrespectful, and it's made for some rough class dynamics. And I said, well, why don't we just pray for your professor? We don't know if she's a Christian or not, but we can definitely pray for her and pray for this class that's been rough. And so we did, and I went to church, as usual, on Sunday. Um, we go to a really big church, so it's not uncommon to have lots of people I don't know there. But I noticed this one woman and introduced myself to her, and we start talking, and found out she was a UNH professor. So I asked, oh, what department? And it was Beck's department. So I said, oh, do you have a, a grad student, Rebecca Skeen, in any of your classes? And she said, yeah. And as we talked, I figured out that this was the professor we had been praying for three nights ago. And I said, can I just tell you, Beck and I were praying for you a few nights ago. And this professor's face, she just went like this. And she called her husband over and she was like, honey, listen to this. Do you remember that class I was telling you about? That's so hard. I have a Christian student in there and she is praying for me. And for her, it just showed her that God was with her in the middle of a really hard semester as a new professor. And it reminded me how powerful it is to be praying. One of the roles that I have at UNH working with crew is that I work with professors and other faculty and staff at UNH. And it just reminded me that the best thing I can be doing each day as I look at campus from our kitchen windows is to be praying for my students and my professors. And I've loved 
I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or just God's timing, seeing our students these past couple years start organizing their own prayer times. Like, we're not organizing it as the staff. They're the ones. These guys have started organizing a Monday through Friday prayer time. They pray at 7 a.m. on Thursday mornings. If you know college students, college students aren't usually up at 7 a.m. unless they have to be. And just watching what God is doing in our students' lives as they hold on to prayer has been so powerful this past year and a half. Yeah, this group of guys that started, um, a bunch of them live in a very large house uh, and started praying together at 7 a.m. in the morning. And then we're like, we should have breakfast together. And so they started having a Thursday morning prayer breakfast. Uh, and we got some churches and other volunteers to cook for them, which to cook breakfast for 20 guys, 20 college guys, is equivalent to cooking for like 40 adults. And so large breakfast. Um, but what was super amazing to me is that as they started praying, they started reaching out to their neighbors. And so they were out, and they were having a bonfire one night. Their neighbors were having a bonfire one night. And they were like, we should meet them and invite them. And so some of the guys go over, meet them, invite them to the Thursday morning prayer breakfast. And two of these guys who aren't, two of these neighbors who aren't following Jesus came. And the guys in the house just did what they normally did. Breakfast, devotional, prayer time. Um, and at least one of the guys continued to come till the end of the semester. And so seeing our students pray at UNH and then step out in faith to reach those around them as they pray has been incredible. And we'd ask that you pray for us. Thanks for the many ways this church has and does pray for us. Uh, the semester at UNH and at King State College starts in two weeks. Uh, there are a ton of freshmen who are about to show up on campus and face the realities of the college world uh, and all the good and bad opportunities that come with that. And so pray for the freshman class. Pray for our efforts and our students' efforts to meet them and invite them to things like crew or uh, Beck and InterVarsity, inviting them to InterVarsity that, yeah, that Christian students would find Christian community on campus and grow in their faith and not turn away from their faith that students who aren't looking for Jesus or God, that God would just intervene and meet them. Um, that he would bring revival at UNH, that he would grow a very small movement at Keene into something that is vibrant and growing and reaching their campus. Um, and for me and my team, as we continue to send students around the world on mission trips um, starting, and I think there's a group going in October and then throughout the year, campuses going on one-week trips that, uh, yeah, that the gospel would be known, made known around the world. So definitely pray. Um, I would say one other way that you can partner with us, support us, you might not be able to go overseas with us, but you can help us impact students around the world. So we mentioned Cruise International. We work with the campus ministry, part of CREW. CREW also has a branch that's global humanitarian aid called UNTO. And we're partnering with UNTO for the second year to assemble school supply kits to send to places where kids don't have access to really basic school supplies, things like pencils and erasers. And we did this last year. 
And it was just incredible to see that it's a double opportunity to share hope. So we opened it up to the whole campus. Um, last year we had about 100 people come. Um, we said, hey, donate pens, pencils, come help us put stuff in Ziploc bags. About 20% of the students who came last year weren't a part of university or crew or the Christian groups putting it on. And so we had all these students coming who had a chance to hear about the hope that we have. Why are we doing this? Who is Jesus? And then as the kits get shipped by unto overseas to crew staff living in these countries, when the crew staff hand out these school supply kits, they get a chance to talk to the students and their families about why they're doing this and the hope that's found in Christ. So last year, I asked if you guys would donate rulers. I asked for 300. You guys went above and beyond 300, which was amazing. Last year, we did 500 kits. This year, we're doubling. We're doing 1,000 kits. Would you guys jump on board and donate as many rulers as you can? We need 1,000 rulers. If you guys can do 1,000, that would be incredible. But donate as many as you can. They need to be full-length rulers, so not mini rulers. 12-inch rulers with metric on the other side, because these go all over the world. Um, if you can drop them off at the church office, I know Pastor Mary or somebody's already got a, a drop-off spot set up, that would be a huge way to help us minister to students at UNH and for our students to minister to the world. And another way you can partner with us is by continuing to pray for us and giving financially to our ministry. Um, we're very thankful for Community Chapel both praying and giving to our ministry. Uh, if you individually would like to receive our monthly prayer letter uh, with stories of what God's doing and ways you can pray or hear more about giving to our ministry, um, if you'll put up that last slide, actually. Uh, you can meet us out back and grab a brochure. Uh, if the slide pops up, there's a QR code you can scan and do it on your phone. Um, or come chat with us at lunch. We would love to chat and catch up with you guys and share more stories if you want to hear more stories. But we are so thankful for Community Chapel um, and your faithful partnership with us. Let me pray as we close, and we'll go from here. God, thanks that prayer matters. Thanks that you listen and that you respond that you respond with mercy and with grace. And yeah, God, I pray that you would make us uh, more reliant on you, um, better prayers, that we would seek your face and that we would see change in our own lives and change in the lives and people around us as we seek you. I pray for this church that you would continue to bless them and use them. Um, they would impact Nashua and the surrounding communities um, for your name and for your glory. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Edward and Emily. They're going to go straight to their table. And they're going to go back there, and they'll be waiting for you as you get back there. As they were talking, I got to thinking to myself, I don't know that I want to go on a trip nine hours with my children in a plane. 
I've done five hours, but nine, I don't know. But then I thought about this. This young couple has just given their lives to, to students, college students, who need Jesus wherever they end up going. And I ask myself, am I willing to do that for wherever I go? So let's be in prayer for Emily and Edward and their ministry. If you want to support them financially today, you can leave a love offering in the basket as you leave your regular tithes and offerings. But let's stand together and let's sing Shout to the Lord as we close out this time knowing that God wants us to declare who he is wherever we find ourselves. Let's stand together. Mm -hmm.